Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 11th, 2012. For newcomers, make sure that you make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com because there's lots and lots of videos for download for free, where, or audios I should say, and um, you can go to the archives or get some videos as well. But you'll find that the system that you live in is explained in these talks because we live in a very, very old system, not the system that's projected to you at election time and when people run up to become the politicians. I go into this big societies that decided a long time ago that they would give a sham democracy for the public while they ruled the world. And the world was their goal, a global society with themselves at the top. But they also wanted to set out in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s, to take over all the world's resources, including water, food, everything, minerals, gold, you name it, whatever. The big corporations that they would found would run the world. And that's what's happened. We're, we're there already, in fact. They also set up big foundations under the guise of philanthropy. Rather weird that, because Adam Weishaupt talked about philanthropy and how they would do exactly that. He said that hundreds of years before. So they actually did this with the big international bankers. They, they created their front organizations, foundations, and then they started to make policy and get their NGOs or non-governmental organizations, armies of them, to push these policies forward by lobbying governments and changing society from within. That way they can control society, the, the political structure, and they also give you your presidents, prime ministers, according to their own historians, like the Council on Foreign Relations, Carl Quigley. So we live in a, a very false reality. It's all perception management, and perception management starts at your birth when your mother or dad starts to give you their view of the world. And, of course, if they don't know what's really happening and they believe the television version, then they'll pass it on to you. That's augmented by your schooling. And it's very important, in fact, to get the schooling to set you up for later propaganda. It's much more difficult if you miss the school. Uh, you won't get that, that kind of priming for later propaganda. It doesn't take so well. So... Go into the website, as I say, find out as much as you can. It'll take a long time to go through it, certainly. Do it at your leisure and think for yourselves. Whatever you do, don't get caught up in just overload of data because that's also how you, you crash. Not just a, a computer crashing, you crash basically with overload of data and often conflicting data. Because the boys that brought you the internet also said they'd also give you uh, the war uh, that, that would basically prevent you from ever reaching the truth. So even for, for real people who come out with the truth to start with, they're eventually bombarded by bigger organizations that come out and take over and then steer you off into the old stuff like elect so-and-so and elect so-and-so, the same old scam, until you're back where you started. Always think for yourself. Now, remember, too, that you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests or sell you anything uh, or products or whatever. All I have is the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can use personal checks or international postal money orders. And you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. 
And believe you me, it's not much comes in, and it's up to you if you to donate too if you want to. That's really welcome, as we go through austerity. But as I say, you you will never understand what's happening now if you don't understand the past and the big organisations that, as I mentioned before, that set up a long time ago to ensure that they would not lose control of the society they were going to create across the world and all of the resources that they would own, they would personally own. And, of course, they call themselves beneficent, if you like, despots. That's one term they used for themselves back in the early 1900s. And technically, that's really what they are today. They're, they're more beneficent to themselves, of course, as they, well, they get the governments that they own to apply us for more taxes. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. And of course everyone knows it's, it's the, the usual anniversary of 9-11, the new normal. And of course it's enshrined in history now. And we have their official versions. And I won't go into the whole thing at all because everyone I'm sure who listens to this program uh, has heard it all before and, and read up many, many articles for themselves and all the inconsistencies of the official version. It doesn't matter. You see, that's how history has always been written. The official version takes over. And a hundred years later, mind you, sometimes they can tell you a bit of truth. And uh, they even classify lots and lots of uh, facts for a hundred years now, or even more, in fact, even more. One of the first guys to to come across from the old Soviet Union into the Americas was, uh, uh, happened in, in um, the end of World War II in Canada. And this guy came in and he, he mentioned that he had a list of all the top uh, bureaucrats involved uh, with the, actually working for the Ottawa government, the Canadian government, who were Communist Party members. Lots of them, awful lots of them. And also U.S. members as well in the U.S. State Department. It was quite fascinating. And uh, the, the Prime Minister at the time freaked out because we were supposed to be pals with Russia at that time after coming through the war. And he left his spy out in the cold, hoping that uh, the guys from the Soviet system running around Canada would catch him and, and maybe kill him or silence him. But anyway, it didn't happen, and he managed to write some good books about it. He went through a lot of reality, and you have to read these kind of books to get the reality version of things as opposed to the official versions of things. Because the official version is, is the, the one that you're, you're, you're better, you better believe if you go through schooling, for instance. You better believe if you want to get your gold stars on your, on your little chart. And it's always been that way in history. Britain, or any empire, has always gone down through history saying that they went in to, to, to help the savages, you know, to, to, to civilize them, as they plundered and killed, etc., and looted and taxed them, and even took all their food supplies sometimes. I mean, in ancient Rome, for instance, they used Egypt as a, a granary. That's where they got most of the grain from. And there was never enough money at the end to even keep the high life going for those in Rome. Even though they had dozens and dozens of little countries all taxed to the hilt, it wasn't enough. And of course, the elite always escape and they move in and start a new empire later on or somewhere else. They never get killed off, as you, I'm sure you'll have noticed if you've read the history books. So there's always been a group coming down through the time who handle money and debts and international financing, for instance. 
and uh, it's, it probably always will be. It doesn't matter what money happens to be, it's, it's an idea anyway, it's someone's idea, and as long as we're all taught to believe in it, we'll, we'll keep on using it without ever really questioning or caring about where it comes from, or who's with the final say in what it is, or how much it's even worth. Quite fantastic. I mean, thousands of years, think about it. Thousands of years, the same. A, a small group have gone down through time, managing the affairs, building up empires, collapsing them, moving out before it collapses and starting up another one. It's not a bad thing, is it, for themselves? And, and those who are pragmatic about things will say, well, that's a good idea. You know, everyone should be as, if, if like nationalistic as this, even though you might not have a country, you're, you're actually international, but you're all related through marriage and so on. I mean, that's a way of survival. There's no doubt about it for themselves. But we've seen the Pharisees go on, as I say, and uh, sometimes even Lord Kitchener, for instance, who's a great British general, at one point, he went into India and Africa and he slaughtered all over the place. But in the history, the old history versions, he was a great guy. And they, and they always had these speech writers that would put in stuff they're supposed to have said, which never happened at all. Uh, and it's easy to do, of course, when it happened so long ago. And brief speeches and all of that. And in reality, he used to go into towns and just take, uh, they were rebelling, rebelling, and they take every fourth or fifth member of a household and take them all out and shoot them in front of the rest. And that was to put them in their place. That's So Britain did the same thing. The Germans were... We did it before them, they did it after them, and um, of course the Soviet system as well. It was a massive bloodbath, went on forever, in fact, until it supposedly fell apart, which it didn't, simply joined with the West. So history goes on, and the elite is always an elite, and even Aldo Huxley mentioned the elite as well. That, and by the way, getting back to Kitchener, they actually released some of the truth about him, and it was a hundred years later. They actually had it classified for a hundred years, you didn't know what the guy was really like except a brave guy that gave wonderful speeches about civilization and stuff. But anyway, the official versions are always the same. And when they came up with the idea of of revolutions, we think color revolutions are something new that's only happening in our time. But there's nothing new under the sun because the big philanthropists, as I say, and the big NGO armies always have gone in first to agitate for overthrows of government so that the big merchant boys would take it over. That's old, old stuff. You see, and of course, to the public of all sides, they'll always give you the same speeches to bring civilization, to bring peace and prosperity. They never mentioned it only to themselves, but things like that goes on all the time. The old, old tactics. The French Revolution is a good example as well. And the similarities of the French Revolution and the so-called Bolshevik Revolution are very, very similar because the same people were behind them and financing it too, you see, and then end up dominating them. But you have to dig into history to get any facts and any truth, and you'll often find you run up against the stone wall, the stone wall of authority and what authority demands, demands that you believe in this liberal society. Now remember, too, Bezmanov and others, other Soviet agents that came across mentioned that in America, communism wasn't called communism, it was called liberalism, and it was Khrushchev that actually said that when he came over to the, to the U.S. Liberalism is a name for it. And through the idea of liberalism, uh, people would actually sell their souls, sell everything until they're totally dominated because they would never face up to the ugly truth of reality. We think that freedom is a wonderful thing. And often you are used to fight for freedom, which you think you're going to get, but you never get exactly what you want. In fact, you often get something completely opposite of what you wanted. 
It's an article here by John Pilger, and Pilger himself, uh, he's never made it absolutely clear where he stands on the political side. It's probably far left, who knows? But the fact is he has gone into countries, done a lot of good documentaries about the big financial elite that run the world and who go into third world countries. Uh, they'll even overthrow uh, presidents, prime ministers, whoever it happens to be, uh, in order to put their own guy in, who immediately it brings down the, the minimum pay, and the big corporations move in and start up their, their, their sweat factories or sweatshops. And once another country comes up, it's even cheaper. Uh, they just move up a lot and just leave you to, to perish, basically, with all the mess behind them. That's commonplace. So he's done some good documentaries. And he says here, the liberal way to run the world is improve or we'll kill you. And that is liberalism, isn't it? It's like, see, liberalism today, you can't argue with it. They just simply dictate to you what you're supposed to believe, what you can and cannot say. This liberalism, they tell you what you can say and what you can't say. Think about that. This double think, you see. And people can't get past the double think part of it. Because they still believe in, in a primary indoctrination of liberalism. You think liberalism will say anybody can say anything that they want about anything. And yet here you have liberal organizations, so-called liberal organizations, that, that forbid you to say certain things or even question certain things. And we accept it all. It's a con, you see. It says, what is the world's most powerful and violent ism? The question will summon the usual demons such as Islamism. Now that communism has left the stage. The answer wrote Harold Pinter is only superficially recorded, let alone documented, let alone acknowledged, because only one ideology claims to be non-ideological, neither left nor right, the supreme way, and this is liberalism. In his 1859 essay on liberty, to which modern liberals pay homage, John Stuart Mill, and I've mentioned him many times before, he actually did a categorization of all the races that should carry on in the future, the ones that would, should perish because they couldn't fit in. He was an eugenicist, an elitist. So John Stuart Mill described the power of empire, and he says this, he says, despotism is a legitimate mode of government in dealing with barbarians, he wrote. You see? He's talking about the British Empire, conquest, and all the rest of it. So it's okay to... To, 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 you know, be a despot in order to civilize them. Civilize means give up all your rights and let's all have all your resources and, and a lot of you will want the slaves. That's what it means. It's just provided the ends be their improvements, so you can improve them at the same time. And the means justified by actually affecting that end. So once they start, you know, using money that you, you make sure that they'll use, and then you tax it all back from them, and then you put in your own puppet government, then you're civilized. In other words, to take the wildness out of you. Jumping to Charles Galton, Darwin, in the, the next million years, he talks about that. About how the elite, the dominant minority, mustn't alter themselves, but they'll alter all the rest of society. But, but the use of, of chemicals and hormones, he said. In the water, in the food, injections, whatever, all of it. To stop them being... Basically, wild men. It says, only we, the elites, must be wild men. Quick of the eye, quick to understand, because they'll be ruling planet Earth, you see. But the rest of us won't need it, because the state will be making all the decisions for us, government agencies. So we dumb down domesticated animals, basically. Getting back to John Stuart Mills, 
This is the barbarians were large sections of humanity of whom implicit obedience was required. Their French liberal Alexis de Tocqueville also believed in the bloody conquest of others as a, a triumph of Christianity and civilization. That was clearly preordained in the sight of providence. He says providence because it was a mason, you see. They'd never say the G-O-D. If they do, they have to spell it G-O-D. <laughs> With dashes in between. It's a nice and convenient myth that liberals are the peacemakers and conservatives the, the armmongers, wrote the historian uh, Harold Williams in 2001. But the imperialism of the liberal way may be more dangerous because of its open-ended nature, its conviction that it represents a superior form of life while denying its self-righteous fanaticism. He had in mind a speech by Tony Blair in the aftermath of the 11th September 2001 attacks, which where Blair promised to reorder the world around us. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back and cutting through the matrix, going through all the rot that we have for reality, at least the ones that's authorised it, there's, there's lots of rots out there. But getting back to this article here, it says, uh, talking about um, the peacemakers and conservatives and so on, the armongers and, and Hyrule Williams, who talked about imperialism of the liberal way maybe more dangerous because of its open-ended nature, its conviction that it represents a superior form of life while denying itself righteous fanaticism. He had in mind a speech by Tony Blair in the aftermath of the 11th September 2001 attacks in which Blair promised to reorder this world around us according to his moral values. Now, Blair's a little psychopath, a little yes-man for his big bosses. And he's, going to, he's actually mentioned some of his mentors, in fact, in the past who actually believe in a totalitarian system. They're all university professors, but they believe in a totalitarian system of, of positive freedoms or negative freedoms. And Blair actually asked about blending the two together. And, and, and when you have um, negative freedom, basically, they keep you like domestic animals, but stupid. They don't tell you much. You just play, play, play. And, and another type of freedom, you have a, a purpose. We are at war. So the whole country has to be at war, on the road for war. And you're, you're in a war mode. And so it's all for the good of the war and, and all this kind of stuff. So he, he asked his mentor about that and, and if he could mix the two together. And they just play with people. You see, they're just little stick instruments. That's all they see you. Little dolls. And uh, psychopaths always see the people like that. And Tony Blair is a very good psychopath. So, so it says, at least a million dead later, because of the war in Iraq alone, this tribune, Mr. Blair, of liberalism is today employed by the tyranny in Kazakhstan for a fee of $13 million. He's got all these moral values. Blair's crimes are not unusual since 1945. More than a third of the membership of the United Nations, 69 countries, have suffered some or all of the following. They've been invaded, their governments overthrown, their popular movements suppressed, their elections subverted, and their people bombed. The historian Mark Curtis estimates the death toll in the millions. This has been principally the project of the liberal flame carrier, the United States, whose celebrated progressives, President John F. Kennedy, according to new research, authorized the bombing of Moscow during the Cuban crisis in 1962. Of course, thank you, used it. I think it was all a farce. I don't think they're ever going to use it. If we have to use force, said Madeleine Albright, 
the U.S. Secretary of State and the Liberal Administration of Bill Clinton. It's because we are America, she says. We are the indispensable nation. We stand tall. We see further into the future. How succinctly she defines modern violent liberalism. It's not liberalism at all. It's actually, it is an agenda. It's a, it's a kind of ism, all right, but it's not liberal. It says, Syria is an enduring project. This is a, a leaked joint U.S.-U.K. intelligence file. It says, in order to facilitate the action of liberative forces, a special effort should be made to eliminate certain key individuals and to proceed with internal disturbances in Syria. CIA is prepared and SIS, which is MI6, will attempt to mount minor sabotage and coup domain incidents within Syria, working through contacts with individuals. A necessary degree of fear, frontier and staged border classes will provide a pretext for intervention. The CIA and the SIS should use capabilities in both psychological and action fields to augment tension. See, understand all propaganda is aimed at the general public. And that's you, so that your, your guys at the top can get their way with some other country. It's meant, to, it's meant to fool you, the people at home, more than anybody else. So this, that was written in 1957. You think it's all new, don't you? Going into Syria and foment unrest and getting them overthrown. This was written in 1957, though it might have come from a recent report by the Royal United Services Institute. A collision course for intervention whose author says with witty understatement, it is highly likely that some Western special forces and intelligence sources have been in Syria for a considerable time. And so a world war beckons in Syria and Iran. Written in 1957. Israel, the violent creation of the West, already occupies part of Syria. This is not news. Israelis take picnics to the Golan Heights and watch a civil war directed by Western intelligence from Turkey and bankrolled and armed by the medievalists in Saudi Arabia. Having stolen most of Palestine, attacked Lebanon, starved the people of Gaza and built an illegal nuclear arsenal, Israel is exempt from the current disinformation campaign aimed at installing a Western, Western clients in Damascus and Tehran. On the 21st of July, the Guardian commentator Jonathan Friedland warned that the West will not stay aloof for long. Both the U.S. and Israel are anxiously eyeing Syria's supply of chemical and nuclear weapons, now said to be unlocked and on the move, fearing Assad may choose to go down in a lethal blaze of glory. Said by whom? The usual experts and spooks, meaning spies, because most of your information comes from the Council on Foreign Relations, which they own, you see, which owns all the media. All the members, all the editors and newspaper owners, all belong to the CFR worldwide. So they give you all this rubbish about all oh, the supplies of nuclear weapons and et cetera, et cetera. We saw that in one country after another right up to Syria to the present day. And they never find anything. It doesn't matter. Like them, Friedland desires a revolution without the full-blown intervention required in Libya. According to his own records, NATO launched 9,700 strike sorties against Libya, of which more than a third were aimed at civilian targets. They included missiles with uranium warheads. Look at the photographs of the rubble of Misurata and Sirte, and the mass graves identified by the Red Cross. Read the UNICEF report on the children killed, most of them under the age of 10. Like the destruction of the Iraqi city of Fallujah, these crimes were not news because news as disinformation is fully integrated weapon of attack. Back with more after this.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. And what a matrix it is, isn't it? Reading an article by John Pilger. This spot on with all everything he's saying, whatever his intentions are, I don't know, but he's spot on with what he says. It's just documented stuff. It's not hard to find. But he just say this because he says, like the destruction of the Iraqi city of Fallujah, these crimes were not news because news as disinformation is a fully integrated weapon of attack. For those who haven't clued in yet, and there's lots of folk out there that haven't clued in, that news is a fully integrated weapon of attack. On 14th of July, the Libyan Observatory for Human Rights, which Libyan, which opposed the Gaddafi's regime, reported that the human rights situation in Libya now is far worse than under Gaddafi. Ethnic cleansing is rife. According to Amnesty, the entire population of the town of Tawarga are still barred from returning while their homes have been looted and burned down. I mean, they're all over the place. They're going into Turkey and everywhere, which of course they know. Remember getting, just jumping back for a minute to what uh, Kissinger said a few years back there. He hoped, actually, that they'd take a different approach and when they went to bomb Iraq and all the other countries they had on their, their list from the 90s. You know, Syria's still on that list. And they had a list for the project for New American Century with all the countries they wanted to plunder and, and wipe out. But he said if we can get all the different factions afterwards, once we have taken them over, fighting each other, they'll fight each other forever, be unstable, and we can go in there and just plunder it will quite easily. So that's what they've done. They've done it very successful. When these big boys speak like this, you've got to take it to the, you can take it to the bank, the real bank, the one that really works, you know. Because they, they, they're part of the decision makers. This isn't, if you don't you want people to be strong and united and, and fight against you, you simply get all the different factions fighting. They've done it in Britain and elsewhere, they've done it through different factions of Christianity across Europe for centuries. And it says, an Anglo-American scholarship influential theorists known as liberal realists have long taught that liberal imperialists, a term they never use, are the world's peace brokers and crisis managers rather than the cause of a crisis. They've taken the humanity out of the study of nations and congealed it with a jargon that serves warmongering power. Laying out whole nations for autopsy, they've identified failed states, which are nations difficult to exploit, and rogue states, which are nations resistant to Western dominance. Whether or not the regime is a democracy or dictatorship is irrelevant. The same is true of those contracted to do the dirty work. In the Middle East, from Nasser's time to Syria today, Western liberalism's collaborators have been Islamists, lately Al-Qaeda, which means the toilet, by the way. For those who don't know, it's a joke. It's just, the whole thing's a joke. CIA run the whole bit. Well, long discredited no- notions of democracy and human rights serve as rhetorical cover for conquest as required. So it's a good article and it's dead on. And the problem is we could say this stuff forever. It's make what difference does it make? Because you see, it's just like Aldous Huxley said, there's always been a dominant minority. And he, he said in his speech at Berkeley in the 60s, he says, and I suppose there always will be. He didn't see any reason why there should be any, any different. This, the dominant minority comes down through time. They interbreed with each other. Money marries money. And money has the power. So they are the power, you see. Very old system. And... As I say, I'll put this article up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I'll put the link up. You can read it for yourselves.
Now, it's wonderful when you go into liberate places and, and you know, the, with the claim of attacked us or haven't attacked us or they may have attacked us or maybe want to attack us and all that kind of stuff. It, there's nothing new under the sun. They go in and simply plunder it. That's the whole purpose of it. Remember, news is weaponized. So it's all weaponized. We read this article here to do with Afghanistan, for instance. It says mining companies would give their eye teeth to exploit Afghanistan's recently discovered $1 trillion worth of untapped mineral wealth. Oh, they didn't know it was there, eh? Even though the Canadian troops that were in there for quite a few years have been sending reports back. Their generals have been sending reports back because they've got all these guys out, these guys that are taking samples of everything, and they know exactly what's all there. But analysts warn that corruption, war, uh, war and lack of basic infrastructure, because of the destroyed infrastructure, and that's how you put it back to the Stone Age, they did it in all the countries in the Middle East, are likely to continue delaying the much-needed mining boom in the country. Much needed for whom? For the guys coming in, of course. China's already doing it, and, the, and NATO troops are protecting the Chinese as they come in and, and take all the minerals out. The nation is sitting on a vast reserve of oil, gold, Iron ore, copper, lithium, rare earths, and other minerals. What luck we had to go and invade them, eh? It's awful lucky, that. But Graham Bowley, the New York Times reporter based in Afghanistan, points out that the country's mining potential has inspired darker dreams and put the government's weaknesses on display. You know the puppet government you put in? It all comes at what is already a critically uncertain time here with impending departure of NATO troops in 2014 and old regional and ethnic rivalries resurfacing, raising concerns that the mineral wealth could become the fuel for civil conflict. Well, they'll make sure of that because they'll extend the troops, of course. And you've got all the, the private armies now you can send in there. Powerful regional warlords and militant leaders are jockeying to widen their turf to include areas with mineral wealth. Well, that's the U.S. and Britain, I guess. And the Taliban have been began to make murderous incursions into territory where development is planned. In the capital, Kabul, factional maneuvering is in full swing, including disputes over lucrative site contracts awarded to relatives of President Hamid Karzai. Afghan's mineral wealth is so vast that an internal Pentagon memo... They're a disinterested party, you understand. It's just data that comes into the Pentagon, you know. An internal Pentagon memo from 2010 says, when most of the reserves were discovered, it stated the country was poised to become the Saudi Arabia of lithium, a key element in the manufacture of high-tech devices. However, a mining uh, law to uh, attract foreign investment was rejected this summer because it was considered too generous to Western commercial interests, explains Boley. Lack of such regulations is already threatening several projects, such as a multi-billion dollar contract awarded to a consortium of Indian companies led by SAIL in November last year. The group was set to mine the huge Hajigak iron ore deposit, considered one of the largest iron deposits in the world at 1.8 billion tonnes. China has also moved to acquire mining interest in Afghanistan with state-owned metallurgical cores, successful $3.4 billion bid to build a copper mine and a $6 billion railway to go with it. That should enter production in 2014. And as the big boys have always said, you know, well, they're sitting on all that land and, and why shouldn't we take it? Because they're doing nothing with it, you see. That's what they always say. They're doing nothing. They're just sitting there. They're kind of in the way, all those people and their old way of life and stuff, you know, all that nonsense, yeah. But we've got to civilize them, which means dominate them, which they've done. <laughs> That's reality. It's always been that way, though. That's reality. And then we go into, of course, what, what, when it all started with 9-11 in 2001, 
And immediately before the dust even settled, the, uh, you had the big wigs at the, the Pentagon shouting, and of course Rumsfeld too, that it was Osama, Osama bin Laden, oh, you know. And um, even though, as I say, the guy was dying in, in, in France and was visited by CIA and, and, and talked, they had a talk with him there, he was an asset of theirs, you see. They, they set him up during the time when the Russians invaded Afghanistan. And so they, they funded and they set up the, uh, the, the warlords and trained them to be, to be fighters to fight the Soviets. I, I may get the clip and put it up again. We'd actually see Brzezinski over there in the 70s giving a speech where he says, we've got to have a holy, this war will be a holy war. It's a jihad, he says. Tell all these guys, you know, that they were arming. And now he's complaining about them. <laughs> see, these guys are the instigators. You've got to understand how, how integrators work. Go, go into that movie again, I've mentioned quite a few times, called Burn, B-U-R-N, with Marlon Brando, where he plays a, a, an 18th century provocateur on behalf of the big financial interests of his time. And he went into Haiti and other countries and got them all fighting themselves. Then they overthrow themselves and then in came the British to maintain order, do you understand? Yep. So, that's really how it goes. Now, back to the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just the American branch and the world branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They wouldn't call it the Royal One for, for America because it wasn't kosher at the time. So they called it the Council on Foreign Relations. Private organization uh, that, that tells government what to do. They didn't put their own guys in. They even give you your precedents. They're all members of it, according to their own historians. Anyway, this is an article. It's so much. This is from the Council on Foreign Relations, but... It's so much, so Orwellian, it's almost out of 1984. It says, the past 11 years have been difficult for terrorists. They've lost their base in Afghanistan. Much more, this is from Richard Haas, by the way, the president, the Council on Foreign Relations, that none of you have elect, but they rule the world. <laughs> it says, much of the world's intelligence, law enforcement, and military capacities aimed at them than ever before. Homeland security in the United States and other countries is far more robust, he says. The horror and tragedy that was 9-11 did many things, and one of them was to galvanize this country and much of the world against terrorists and those who support them. Still, the enemy is resilient. It's, it's really a propag- well, amazing propaganda piece. It's, it's like something you, you literally got from 1984 or something to do with the, the Cold War, you know. It says, uh, still the enemy is resilient. Weak states such as Somalia, Yemen, and Pakistan are a breeding ground. States at war with themselves such as Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq are a magnet and a school for radicals who often are or become terrorists. Osama bin Laden is dead, but Al-Qaeda and its offshoots live on. The ghosts are everywhere. The the Internet's a tool for radicalization. So they have to police everything, you see, because you may become radical. Recruitment and training. Homegrown terrorists are a real problem, even for the most modern democratic societies. Here we are. Oh, nobody's safe anymore. The whole world's full of terrorists. You're all terrorists. If you've got an original thought, you're a terrorist. And he goes on to say, there are ways to react. And this, this is the, the, these are the, this is the group that has their top people in every newspaper across the world. The top um, writers, journalists are all members of the Council on Foreign Relations for every main magazine and news, newspaper and television across the planet. And here he is saying, we're, oh, nobody's safe because this, even though, oh, oh, you know, Osama bin Laden's dead, oh, Al-Qaeda and its offshoots live on and radicalization is happening. 
There are ways to react, he says. Terrorists, terrorists overseas can be targeted with drones and special forces. Weak states can be strengthened. Sources of money can be dried up. But terrorists will continue to emerge and strike until religious, pol- political and community leaders, along with parents, do all they can to make clear that terrorism is an illegitimate means of pursuing a political agenda. I wonder if he means, you know, when the air forces take off, they go and bomb countries they want to go in and plunder. If that's also terrorism. Could it be? It's all perception management, isn't it? All of which is to say that they will likely be around and active for a long time. That means perpetual, perpetual war. I've read the article from the, from the military's own magazine. You know. You're now in perpetual war. It's going to be this for the rest of your lives and beyond. On occasion, terrorists will succeed despite our best efforts. That is part of the legacy of 9-11. But 9-11 also shows us that while terrorists can destroy, they're unable to create. They're not the inspiration behind the upheavals in the Arab world. No, of course the West is. Terrorists also offer no alternative, only violence. On occasions they do succeed. It's essential that we show ourselves to be as resilient as they are and carry on. That is the other legacy of 9-11. So there you go, you see. They're telling you that this is the official plan for the future. It's all terrorism everywhere. And homegrown ones can happen as well, you see. They might start to understand how their system works and not be too chuffed about it and complain a little. And you're you're on a watch list right away. This guy's a thinker. Watch him. I'm not kidding you. That's all it's about. Because the big boys are using psychology and sociology and ethnology and God knows ologies all over the place to study all of us and monitor all of us. I've even got that article I read a while ago from two years ago where the European Union has put masses of, of money into massive computer systems that try and, and get your total personality profile and monitor you for your whole life long to see if you deviate from the norm. And they tell you what the norm is. Norm is being, you know, well, let's talk about television, eh? What's the latest program on TV? I like so-and-so. And that's what, that's normal. Anybody who asks a, 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 a sentient question is dangerous, I think, especially if you can pass information on to others or, or articulate it properly. You're a real danger then. <gasps> it's a free world. Eh? It's very liberal, though. But that's the world you live in, you see. And that's from the, this is from the big boys that run every newspaper across the planet and every main magazine and the TV stations, all council and foreign relations, private organization, that, that their head one is, of course, to say the Royal Institute for International Affairs, private organization. It's also the ones that set up MI5, MI6, and all the rest of it. And that's the world we really live in, folks. Now, here's an article here, for instance, and it's, again, it's how they play the game with ignorant people who don't know any better because they haven't been told. I mean, naturally, you're ignorant if you haven't been told. You can be ignorant afterwards if you don't want to think about what you've been told. That's a, that's a choice. The G20 says, what we think tank. It's called we think tank. It should do. That's very, oh, very clever, eh? It says, as host of this year's group of 20, the G20 summit, it says the Mexican government is diligently finalizing the agenda that would, its leaders would consider, consider in Los Cabos. And that was the error this, this, this year. So earlier this week, I was in sunny Mexico City helping advise Mexico's G20 Sherpa. Like the Sherpas, I've mentioned the Sherpas. He's the guys go around. Um, we don't like them either. And they draft up all the plans that the guys go and have their, when the G20 meets and have their big massive party and their meals. They draft it all up years in advance. So they go and eat and sign it, you see. 
This is, this is the brainchild of the Canadian Centre for International Governance Innovation. Now, that's the Canadian branch of the CFR. It used to be called CFR in Canada, too, but they changed it when folks started talking about it. So here's the CFR talking to themselves. Without telling you that's what it is. So the G20 has a task, a full task ahead of it, and needs to focus on its agenda. And here's the internationalists take on its priorities for Los Cabos. And they go through it all, stabilize and reform the global economic and financial system. Well, that's a big chore, isn't it? But mind you, the guys who, who own the CFR and set it up, going right back through its history, like Alfred Milner, the international bankers, and that, still own it today. Since this job is one, involves two complementary steps. First, the G20 must continue as it did at the Cannes Summit last November. Now, we have not set, understand, we did not set up the United Nations, the CFR did, Royal Institute of International Affairs, set up the United Nations to bring in world government. They set up the G20, a supranational government, with all the, the, the small state, that's ex-governments, that we call states now, leaders, you see, that you think you, you, you vote in. Then they formed their own little club called the G20. Did you get asked about that? Did you, do you mind if, you're, if, you're, if the guy, the head of your government, goes off and joins this international group that makes international decisions and you're going to pay through the nose forever and ever as they throw your money across the planet called redistribution of wealth? You see, the bankers run the communist system too, and of course Marx had all that in his own writings as well, the redistribution of wealth. You didn't think it was coming from you at the bottom, did it? Did you? You didn't think that at all. Everybody's conned. If you belong to a group, you're conned. So they go on and talk about how they're meeting with the, uh, the Mexican branch, the CFR. They mention their own organization, because part of their own organization is the International Monetary Fund. They're talking about all their own departments here. But if you were reading it without any knowledge of, of that, you would think it's all different, separate things altogether. The whole article is about their different departments to make you think they run the world, which... They do. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Now there's a caller hanging on there. It's Grace from Montana. I'll see if she's still there. Is Grace there? Hi, Alan? Yes. Hi, how are you? Not too bad at all. Yeah. Um... I um I have an idea. It's kind of dangerous, but um mm-hmm. I was thinking about how the dominant minority has basically declared war on us and what we could do about it. And um, I think first of all, people have to get angry. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not talking about running around like chickens with their heads cut off, screaming like banshees. I mean, a fire of righteous indignation burning in your gut because yeah. that's the only Emotion yes. that overcomes fear and the fear-based system they've got us in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's true. Yeah, you understand, too, we have already been through a long war. It's been on us all along, and your parents and grandparents even, uh, with chemicals, injections, you name it, to domesticate us and bring us down to this step where we're not, we're not reacting as we should be like real wild animals. Wild animals 
are survivalists. Once they domesticate you, then the shepherd is the boss, and, and you simply do what you're told. So they've been at this for a long time, training the public that the big thing in the world, whatever's going on, is really not your concern. You're supposed to play at the bottom, and they treat you like perpetual children. That's what they've trained us to believe, and most folk are behaving that way. But the thing is, we've got to get it back. We've got to get that wild instinct back and say, and stop being fooled all the time by the con men. And, and realize that you, you are an individual. You don't even think of yourself as groups and groups or masses or populations of people. Think of yourself as individuals. Because even the United Nations, it's all for this global agenda that was set up to, to bring it in. It's actually said that the biggest enemy is the individual. Because the individual that, that understands what's going on and can communicate is a, is a real threat to the big boys. Really a big, big threat. And you've got to, you got to regain your, 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 your independence, your self-independence, personal independence, before you think about other people. And once you do it, you, when, you, when something's wrong, you say it's wrong. You don't just go along with the crowd to be polite or to be accepted with a peer group. You say it's wrong. And, and if it's a downer, that's what they'll tell you. Oh, that's a downer. Well, too bad. Walk away from them and find people who understand what you're saying. But don't stop talking and don't stop pushing because we're all goners if we don't. A, a war, this war is so incredibly old. As I say, John Stuart Mills, it's worth reading his stuff. He, he, he listed the populations, including the Scots and the Irish, that were to be annihilated. And that was followed up by H.G. Wells at the Fabian Society. All those groups that perpetually fought against this, this banker bunch at the top that was taken over the world, they called the British Empire. It was a banker empire. Those who kept fighting them were to be totally annihilated. And they said the same with the blacks. Anyone who would not adopt this system of economics and, and go to work at six in the morning and finish at eight at night were to be annihilated, you said. And they all believed in that. They're all eugenicists at the top. They believe that we exist to serve their interests. And the, the whole con that they've given us of democracy is nothing more or less than that. It's a con. If we only use our own eyes and ears and think for ourselves, like that article from John Pilger, absolutely spot on. They're plundering the planet like they've always plundered the planet, and news is weaponized. It's not to fool the enemy, it's to fool the people at home to get them on board for the next uh, escapade and plundering plan. But you're quite right, we've got to start getting angry and stop taking this like, like domesticated animals. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. And from Hamish Myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>